0: to the biocharisma podcast today we have michelle lundquist of michelle's healing home michelle has been blowing my mind for a year i've been listening to her and her hubby hubby or partner i don't know which one but they're they're life partners let's just put it that way mario garza of symbolic studies and um chance garten of the interverse podcast he has a uh this secondary show called the Vibrant, and then they have an Astro Herbalism. They, they've done 13 uh, different podcasts with, which you should check out because that will give a lot of context to what I'm diving into this year when it comes to timing. Michelle being in like, as, as the name of her company, Michelle's Healing Home is about, it's all about creating an environment that is a perfectly nested environment, an environment that helps you grow and get better, helps you with the timing of your life, um, helps you heal and restore you know the home is about restoration and uh i just I had to have her on because her and Mario did a couple of podcasts that were just directly talking about um The lore of saturn and what saturn might have been in different ages and uh i just had so many things going off when i was listening to it i was like i gotta have her on the pod and we gotta talk about timing and get into it so uh go check out michelle's healing home listen to this podcast we're obviously going to have more podcasts uh, getting into all the different herbs and um it's just not herbs. Just so you guys know, it's uh, herbs are a part of it. What the plant kingdom is always doing, it's always signaling us, and uh, we signal back. And it's a symbiotic relationship between between all of us living organisms. So, enjoy the podcast, and I will see you on the flip side. Welcome, everyone. We're here today with my Capricornian princess, Michelle Lundquist of Michelle's Healing Home. Uh, I've been a huge fan of yours for about the last year. Um, I've really started to dive into your work ever since hearing you with uh, Chance Carton and uh, hearing you partner up like this last masterclass that you and Mario Mario Garza, for those of you guys that don't know, of Symbolic Studies. You guys did. Probably like a four hour expose on Saturn, <laughs> and I was just like, "Yes, and then of course you're wearing obsidian, you're wearing your black, you got the black in the <laughs> background. I'm like, all right, it's capricorn season let's 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 go, let's do this. how you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me and it's it actually is very um inspiring and feels very great to know that you've been tuning in for about a year and, and, and finding out what I'm all about and watching the vibrance, which shout out to chance and Mario and Gabe Mm -hmm. and Kyle, uh, with the Astro herbal series. Oh my goodness. We had such a good time. And it really was a, I mean, it was a challenge every month to do it in, in a, in the most beautiful of ways, because Mm -hmm. it kept me in the mindset of just remembering the zodiac with the plants and stretching my imagination and my creativity with, mm-hmm. with herbs and how I look at them as well. Because one of the things I love about that series is that we all have our own takes on a lot of these things. But Kyle and I as herbalists, I, I feel we have a little bit of a different take than a lot of other herbalists out there when it comes to matching the mm-hmm. zodiac and plants together, which I felt flowed really well. And I think it opened up a few other doors for a lot of other people to kind of start viewing herbs in a different way and not always just looking at the correspondences in the book as they've been seen for decades, kind of like these herbs have crossover with different Zodiac signs. And sometimes they're a little bit not as known or talked about in the way that we talked about it, which I thought was a really beautiful synergy there.
0: I, I couldn't agree more, and you guys had me like completely go back to my Ayurvedic massage roots. Mm. Um, I was trained in Ayurvedic massage twenty-three years ago, and I did my practicum in India, in in southern India, and like you know, learning shirodora, learning how the different oils, what the different oils are relative to the warming and cooling essences of the body, but we never got into herbs per se. Like um, at the level at which I trained, we got into like some of the cleansing herbs, like uh, of course, you know, everybody knows uh, (laughs) turmeric. Like you can't live in India without like super dosing turmeric, but um, what your guys this year of me just listening to you was just like, I want to have a chart that links the herbs to the body, because in ah. Ari- in Ayurvedic massage, the way that that conditioning overflowed with me was that essentially each one of like depending like let's say we're talking about Capricorn, right? Because we're in Capricorn season, you just had a birthday. Capricorn rules the knees, rules one of the only hinge joints that we have in our body. And so in Ayurvedic massage and polarity therapy, I'm listening to you guys just like go deep into Saturn because Saturn rules Capricorn. And I'm like, okay, what, what herbs? Like, Because a lot of times I work, I'm still a massage therapist and I'm working with clients and I know the effectiveness of herbs in my own system, but I don't know them well enough. And I think that there's like a correlation. Like I really think that, like, oh, I have an ankle problem. There, there's something wrong with my Aquarian body, or I have a neck problem. There's something wrong with my Taurian body. You know, all these types of things. And I just wanted to to see what you thought about that and kind of like dive deep into that.
1: Yeah. So like the connections of the zodiac signs to the uh, to the body like parts. Actual- Yeah. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best ways to start learning plants, actually. And it's not how I necessarily started learning about plants. But once I found out these correspondences... The Zodiac actually started making a lot more sense to me. And then the herbs that correspond with these planets, at least traditionally or typically started to make a lot more sense to me. And it's actually really opened up my practice as an herbalist in a, in a huge way. And also my own healing journey, I would say, because basically to me, anytime something pops up for me, an ailment or whatever, I have worked really hard over the last few years to... Start to look at this as an opportunity. Nice, a beautiful chart here. Yes, from the salts of salts and salvation, um, which is a great book, by the way. Um, if people are interested in learning more about mm-hmm. this, it's a good place to start there. But um, yes, I think it makes so 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 much sense, and it really helps you to then use ailments and pains and aches and all these things that pop up as opportunities to understand yourself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And then if you can talk to somebody even that does have a little bit more uh, you know of a background in these studies specifically maybe astrological charts or what have you once you start to then connect these things to your own chart it it opens up this whole entire world of deep healing that Mm -hmm. isn't found when you're not looking at these sorts of things in my opinion anyway so when we're talking about like really getting to the root of something, I feel like these modalities of healing are super crucial
0: to start I, to incorporate. I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm, I've been in to astrology ever since I was 20 because my mother had, <laughs> I was born in 1976. She had my stars read like a week after I was born and they oh. recorded it on an A-track. And the, oh! the, the astrologer said, don't play this for your son or don't let him hear this till he's 20. And so she plays it for me on my 20th birthday and it leveled me because like at the time I was a Glober, I believed in NASA, like everything was like billions of quadrillions of miles, millions of miles away. Like how could all that stuff out there actually accurately describe me? like how how is that even possible like it was an it was a small ego death for me the first time that that i actually heard my chart because here's a dude in the 70s that like he hand-casted it it's played on an a-track and he knew me supposedly better in 1976 than my parents knew me in 1996 wow and from that moment, I was like, nobody can deny this to me. Like, this is irrefutable. Like, it's it's like, and he was naming things down. He was doing transits. Like, he was saying, "Oh, your son, you know, near near his twentieth birthday, is going to be in a relationship with with a Leo, but his he's really in love with Gemini, and he's like, uh, Gemini, and he's like going through it, and like, my parents thought it was." Uh, hogwash but it was like no no this is real and so when i got into ayurvedic massage a few years later and then they did this the this is the zodiac man right here in the middle i was hooked because i was like these correspondences with the luminaries is a real thing like it's a real thing like you uh, at least for me in the way that i'm wired it can't be denied and so uh one of the people in our chat made this one where they took Athen Comente's uh, Prometheus software, which essentially looks at all the 13 constellations, and, and superimposed it onto the cell salts that you, that, you, uh, that you brought up. And I really like that because that's the type of astrology, or I call it celestics because that's the way I was uh, conditioned but oh, okay. all of these the real sky astronomy in the sky having that link to the cell salts i wanted to see what you thought um with having ophiuchus which is this symbol right here most people combine scorpio and ophiuchus that what is that cal i don't know so4 i i don't know what it is like Callie. It's Callie soft, I think. Oh, okay.
1: Calcium sulfur.
0: I think that's what it is.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And it has that going. Have you ventured in, I know, I know your expertise is in herbalism, but you're probably somewhat of a um, Renaissance woman. Like most of us are that are all in like the, the beat of podcasting the way of the people that we're talking about. Um how, First of all, I wanted to know because Ophiuchus is such a, it's, it's so occulted to most people. It's not seen by most people. Do you have any herb or do you have any connection to that constellation? Like, Is there anything that you've studied that has brought you to that and said, oh, this herb is actually in connection with this constellation?
1: That's a great question. And, you know, it was not until recently, until we did the Astro Herb um, uh, episode on that I was really starting to look into it. And I really, one of the ones that stood out to me, like almost immediately, there's a couple, but tobacco was one and I feel like the tobacco, Mm -hmm. there's something with, it being sort of like a bridge between between worlds mm-hmm. and i also feel like it's a bridge between our ancestors and the spirit realm there's a communication aspect to tobacco that can be viewed when you look at the plant itself its structure um and all of those things but also even when you think about the act of smoke and smoking tobacco even if you're using the tobacco as a smudge and you're not consuming the smoke, smoke in and of itself to me reminds me of ancestral work. It reminds Mm -hmm. me of the spirit world. It reminds me of bringing things up to the spirit world, allowing things to release. Uh, There's almost like this kind of, in between realms that it feels like Mm -hmm. with smoke when it happens, you know, Uh, obviously it's used to cleanse. It's used as an offering. It's a sacred plant. It's also sometimes looked at as like a father archetype, which I find is interesting and kind of related to Ophiuchus, but I also see a very feminine, uh, dark feminine aspect to Ophiuchus and Mm -hmm. the the energy of the snake and, and things like that, which, also reminds me of tobacco in a way, but that was one of the first plants that came to me when I was figuring out what herbs correspond with Ophiuchus and tobacco definitely, definitely stands out. And as somebody who grows it too, and have been able to witness it from seed to leaf to flower to decay, uh, to me, it, it is, it's seriously one of the most, uh, almost like underrated herbal plants in my opinion because right away when people hear tobacco they automatically think of a tobacco cigarette you know or you think of marlboro or something which i think has done kind of a disservice to this plant which maybe in- intentionally
0: that's yes. intentionally done totally yeah.
1: intentional uh, inversion classic classic in the world we swim in we know that yeah. these inversions are intentional so yeah i would love to hear your thought on that as well because um I just, I love tobacco. I have some that's curing right now and the the Ugh. scent of it as it's been curing has changed. And that's one of the things that I love about herbs mm-hmm. too is just how they morph and change and how they can become better as they sit and all these things. There's all sorts of different ways to harvest and prepare plants. But tobacco being one that where patience is very important because the longer it sits, the better it gets.
0: I love this... This connection between tobacco, the smoke, and Ophiuchus, especially given um, Mario's observation of how Ophiuchus kind of opens the, the, the inner part or the polar aspects of the, of the stars up. So you, could you imagine, like, when you smoke, what's occurring? The smoke is lifting. It's going yeah. up. And you have Ophiuchus. When you see the constellation, as Mario so beautifully pointed up, it's actually like, "Hey, look! Look above! Look to the center! Look to the pole star!" And I have an intimate connection with. Um, I look at tobacco as a as a as a real medicine. Um, I came across it. I I was at a friend's. Farm in Costa Rica, and it doesn't grow so well in Costa Rica because it gets too humid, so he had essentially this greenhouse during the dry season where he just like he just I, I forget what he said he didn't really intentionally try and grow it, but this tobacco plant started to grow, and um I was doing a earth earthen workshop there, and I walked in there and I just felt the presence of the plant I was like dude what is that because it had grown all the way up and it was pressing against the greenhouse
1: wow and
0: i was just like just its presence like i could feel it like it was a being and then immediately i knew that the that they inverted the tobacco energy because seeing it in its glory like that because i feel the same way around cannabis when i'm around a cannabis plant i'm like i'm like you're alive like you're you're (laughs) like you're a being like it sparkles in it like there's something with the cannabis plant itself like it it it's reading you as you're reading it it's like so i have this thing that i tell everybody here they think i'm kind of crazy in the ozarks i'm like I'm gonna have all the master plants here. I'm gonna have cacao, I'm gonna have tobacco, I'm gonna have peyote, I'm gonna have ayahuasca, I, I'm I'm gonna have I'm gonna have the masters here. I'm gonna actually have Coca. Ooh, nice. If, if you've ever been around Coca, that's like she is like if if you've ever been around like really large acacia trees. Imagine taking the majesty of the acacia tree, which has all these little small leaves, but it's huge, and then, like, shrink it down into a bonsai. That's coca. Wow. And you're like, what? What's going on here? Like, it's, 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 it's nuts. And so to have coca and then also to have um, uh, kratom. I don't Ooh, know. I, yeah. I might be a little bit too low for kratom, but I have lots of pines and piney shrubs in this area. Pretty much in the area of Missouri that we're at, we can grow anything. And uh, I've only seen kratom in higher elevations, so I don't know if it will. Gr- I'll try and grow it here. Um, but I want these plants not for the substance that they create. I want them for the presence of the plant. And for me, for because for those of you that don't know, tobacco is such a fast grower and it's it's a, it's not it won't last forever. Right. Right. And for it to be like one of these light demanding plants, like I just had Kyle Denton on and we talked about the difference between light demanders and shade demanders. Like to have the tobacco have that level of presence in being a light demanding, you know, there's something on a spiritual level with it.
1: Yeah, I love that thought. Oh, and shout out to Kyle. I'm looking forward to your interview with him because I bet you guys really had a great conversation, Mm -hmm. but I love that thought and I'm with you on that. And I want to, oh my God, encourage you to do that because that would be so cool uh, to see all of those plants in one place like that. And the presence of those that were listed I haven't been in the presence of like cacao in the wild, only a house plant that somebody I knew at the time was growing, you know, but even just seeing that leaf and like holding it in your hand and stuff, like feeling that resonance. And this was even before I would even consider myself an herbalist, you know, it was just that presence and being able to pick up on those energies, you know, naturally, Mm -hmm. but with the tobacco, yes, the presence of it is something to behold. And in the garden, the areas, like I, I just started a ton of it and then I just planted it all over our property. So I put it in here, there, everywhere, just to see what it would do and where it would do best. And it was so interesting to see that in different parts of the property, how it came up and flowered at different times. I had one flowering in like October, you know, and Mm -hmm. the rest of them had already started to come go back down to the mother, you know, and they were spent or I had already harvested them. So it was really interesting to see the different patterns. And then I also made a flower essence of it this year mm. because I really want to, I love flower essences and gem essences and the energetic medicine that can come, which goes along with exactly what you're speaking about of the presence of this plant. Like that's what you're capturing mm-hmm. in in this way when you're making these essences. And I thought how cool to be able to have, one, maybe tincture or an oil or something that incorporates all of these things, whether it's like the uh, oil of the leaves and a tincture of the roots and then a flower essence all in one bottle. And so you have that from one plant. And that was one of my goals this year and was able to do it. And I'm so excited to start imbibing in that and offering and then just like seeing what happens if you could have like a tobacco ceremony. Because to me, Mm There was some sort of very deep ancestral feeling I got from the tobacco. And I mentioned this in the herbal Astro Herbs uh, of Fucus episode. But at one point I had um, all this tobacco that had been drying in the garden shed and I had to wear it on my body to bring it back into the house because I had my hands were full. I had a couple baskets and then I was like, I want to just make one big trip. So I put the tobacco over my neck and I just had all these tobacco leaves And I just felt this, I saw this vision of people in a village, like in a circle dancing with tobacco on them. And you could hear the crunchiness of the leaves as they were dancing. And I felt myself in that. And it was just me putting it on my body like that and walking to the house and feeling that and thinking there is something so rooted about this plant that I think probably like cross multicultures, you know, Mm -hmm. not just one culture i think that plants span cultures and span mm-hmm. across lifetimes you know and so anyway i like to keep that in mind when i'm working with plants and knowing that they have such a broader perspective than we sometimes give them credit for really
0: i've been humbled cuz i really think the plants use us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was brought to my attention and the the guy who brought that to my attention he he usually has a very good way of humbling me and he's the only shaman. I should say he's the only gringo shaman that I, I trust. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs>
0: and, and I want to give you a little anecdote about cacao. You'll appreciate okay. this since we started this off talking about you being the Capricornian princess. And I, wanted, <laughs> I, I want, because Capricorn also to me, I think has to do with soil. Uh, The blackness of carbon, the dark carbon in the soil, right? Which then would tie you to mycelium. But so I had a a plant, it wasn't a plantation. I had a grove of cacao, of golden Brazilian cacao on my farm. I went to Europe and I had people house-sitting my farm. And when I got back, my cacao was eaten, like all of it. Which was very, very frustrating. We had leafcutter ants come in and just pulverize my trees. And so the leaf cutters, what they'll do is they'll go and attack anything that's, that's weak. And so what the leaf cutters do is they show you whether or not your soil is good. And so
1: ah.
0: cacao was not endemic to the region of Costa Rica that I was in, and I had Brazilian golden cacao. So that was a Brazilian strain, and it, I was just getting decimated, which it broke my heart because my the goal for that farm was to grow this thing called a mamanchino, which is like a lychee nut, and make lychee nut wine, and then to make my own cacao, and that was like okay. And then I also grew coffee because I'm a coffee snob. So I was gonna have those three things on on my farm. And I invested like quite a bit of time and money into the cacao. Like that was not, that wasn't an inexpensive venture for me and I lost it. I, (laughs) I got my ass kicked. And that really turbocharged my whole venture into biochar. Cause I had been doing biochar, but I hadn't like really planted, like I hadn't really like done a grove of anything yet with the biochar. So that next season, I went ahead and planted um, two-year-old cacao trees in biochar. And then I also uh, planted a bunch of rhizomes of bamboo. And everything just took off. And the leaf cutters never came back. Uh Uh-huh. And so there was something about this black Saturn Carbon, you know, because carbon is six, right? Like the the way it looks is a six, and that Saturn, that Saturnian, it's that deep energy, but it's hit, it's in the ground. It's like it's gone. You don't see it, like you don't like once you plant the seed, you don't dig it up to see if it's growing, type of thing.
1: Right, right.
0: So that fits, like you know, like the the Capricornian energy of being like, don't look at my internal world, like don't look at, you know what I have inside, like the the protection barriers and things like that. And I just wanted to bring that up to you because it was like so fitting because there is something to privacy. There's a power in privacy that I think the Capricornian energy knows. Like there's certain, like you tell that to a Libra and they'll have no idea what you're talking about. But you tell that to a Capricorn, they're like, of course, there's like, there is a power in privacy. There is this power and not being seen in like all the little underworkings that are happening internally. You don't need to know. Like, go away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: And so I, I yeah, the cacao thing was amazing because I ended up did getting yields of cacao, you know, in a pretty short order with a biochar. And I, I just wanted to give that to you for your overall knowledge of, of just the, the blackness. There's a, oh, this is the other thing, the, what you said earlier, like jogged my memory. I want to ask you this. So whenever I make biochar, by the way, it's essentially smudging my property. Why is it after the biochar smudge happens, I can see my forest clearer? Oh,
1: interesting. I mean, I wonder if you're working with the you're lifting the veil somehow.
0: So right? this get this gets to the smoke of Ophiuchus and all right. of it, right? So like, right? I'll like let's say I do maple leaves. Like I'll I'll do maple leaf biochar, and it's the biochar it makes is very fine, because the maple leaf when it's dry is extremely like there's no substance to it, right? I'll go ahead and do that. I'll reduce the maple leaves down. And then all of a sudden, I can actually really see my maple trees. Wow. Like, I mean, I mean, really see them. Like in 4D, like, oh, that that's who you are. And then I'll do biochar of pine cones from all my pine trees. And that has a totally different... Uh, process the the fire gets much hotter because there's much more oil and it's like more explosive pops boom bang 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 and everything like that and then as after the smoke clears my pine trees now are vivified when i deal with the
1: wow i love this keep on keep on going
0: and the same thing with the oak leaves because my forest is mainly oak and so i have tons of oak leaves and oak leaves Take so long to dry out, but once they are dry, they're like the they're like the in between of what the pine and the and the um, and the maple is. They have more oil than the pine, but less. Uh, they have more oil than the maple, but less than the pine. So it doesn't burn as hot, but they have more substance than the maple. So you you're left with more char at the end. And once again, as soon as I do that and the smoke clears, all my oak trees are just like, yeah, here I am, here I am, here I am. And so
1: whoa. whoa.
0: Yeah, there's something with I'm... the with the smoke coming from the actual plants. You know what I'm saying? So I've never done the experiment because I, I I don't smoke things all that well. And by the way, I just want to give you a correspondence. All the scorpionic people I know, they all smoke. Oh, interesting. And I, ha- I have the benefit of like massaging like a lot of people. <laughs> so I'm always asking them <laughs> like what their, what their astrology is and all the rest of it. So like there is, there's a correspondence to that smoke lifting through the Ophiuchin, you know, Scorpio line right there. So, I just wanted to give you that correspondence. But there, I would love to do an experiment of like smoking some tobacco and then being with the tobacco plant because it's already vivified in my consciousness. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what it makes me think of? The thing I think of is what if the plants themselves that you're burning, so the pine, in that smoke, it's releasing other nutrients and mm-hmm. water vapors and stuff, and then that those trees reabsorb that. So it's almost like they're reunited with the minerals that they may have lost when they shedded whatever you're burning. Does that make sense? it makes, like, to- like,
0: it, it makes total yeah. sense. and I, I only have two alchemists in my life, and I brought this up to them and they kind of I don't know if I explained what was going on to them to, in a way that they understood it. But I look at it as an alchemical process, because what is what is it when you're making biochar? You have a retort, which is, in, from an alchemical perspective, is an anthenor. An anthenor in alchemy is you take a substance and you heat it, superheat it, but oxygen can't get to it. Ah. So you, you don't have the oxidative stress. All that's occurring is the volatiles are leaving, so the reduction always takes you to the carbon substrate. The carbon substrate, because the volatiles are as they leave, you you depending on what you're cooking, you get a slight reduction in volume. Like I have pictures, on I have pictures on on uh, Instagram of like me before a cook. Me after a cook, and it's only like 10% difference for most things. That carbon that's left over is now the carbon substrate of the living thing that was once living, but without any of the volatiles. So what's being released is what in alchemy they would call the spirit, right? Yeah, totally. And so that spirit now is going out, it's going, it's going, it's going, and it's touching all of them. And they're like, Hey, he's honoring me. He's gonna put my my brother's, you know, whatever, in the ground forever. Because the yep. carb the carbon is stable. And then they they honor me because I've honored them. They're like hey, they're Hey, I gave you all these leaves to use. I didn't give you these leaves to blow away with a leaf blower, which by the way, drove me nuts living in Florida. Cause I would see people with dueling leaf blowers. I like wrote this whole <laughs> essay about how pissed it made me. Cause you have, you know, one long company blowing leaves on the other yard and you have another guy blowing leaves on the, uh, and they're like, yeah, that drove me nuts. But it's like, nature is always like, no, no, no. I'm giving you everything that you need. I'm giving you the wildflowers that will fix your gut. I'm giving you the, the the wildflowers that will get the fungus off of you. I'm giving you all the leaves that you can make into soil that then you can grow your food. It's like, that's Yeah, it's a beautiful system.
1: I know that once you tap into these sorts of things and you start viewing nature that way, mm-hmm. the abundance is so infinite that you forget that you forget about things like leaf blowers, you know, that it's not necessary, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's like a program or something like that. Um, Because it makes me think about just, you know, utilizing the pine needles that fall. We have a lot of evergreen around us and Mm -hmm. taking those pine needles and putting it into the compost, using it as a dressing for all the garden beds, you know, Mm -hmm. and then just watching this whole symbiotic relationship happen. And it all breaking down and then it enriching everything around it and yourself included. Mm -hmm. And I do really love what you talked about with the plants using us, because I really think that that is something that's very strong that I pick up on. And I always try and pay attention to the plants that are shouting at me like, Mm -hmm. and it happens all the time when I know that I need to go and sit with blue vervain a little bit longer. I need to go learn something else by just sitting next to a plant. And I think like that's something that kind of, it doesn't get ignored. In mainstream herbalism, but I think that the more scientific way of looking at herbalism, which is important, is knowing all the constituents and this and that and the other thing but and I think sometimes the spiritual side gets left out. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's what really the magic really happens when that stuff is blended in a responsible way and then when you actually start to understand that there is this whole other underlying language that the plants have for you. And it's not always verbal, you know, literally I've had it where usnia, the lichen that grows on a lot of the trees um, where it's just like, it like falls right in front of you on a hike. And it's like, I don't ignore that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm the person that's like, hmm, okay, usnia has a message for me. I'm going to pick up this Usnea and I'm going to listen and see what happens. And I think that that's the magical part too. It always, it kind of brings you back to your childhood a little bit or something. It Mm -hmm. it reminds me of the way that a child would think of an herb or or a fairy tale would write about it is like that kind of stuff exists too. And Mm -hmm. you can get lost in the woo. Don't get me wrong. That that's a thing. It happens to a lot of people, but I think finding the balance of the woo and the real is like really where you start to learn. Uh, a lot more about the plants and it opens up this whole other magical realm that you can tap into and infuse into your medicine. It's all mm-hmm. about intention when it comes to that stuff, too,
0: which by the way, I have to tell you, with ayahuasca, that is the number one thing that the that gets entrained is the the brewing process of the jagubi and the tracuna, the two of those together. Um, when that's occurring, the cook is a minimum of about 72 hours okay and it's an alchemical distillation and if you have anybody in the field that that number one you want to do it during auspicious times with the luminaries you know getting back to like the zodiac wheel and all the rest of it but then also whoever whoever is like running that distillation their consciousness is actually what you experience during the medicine.
1: Ah, that makes total sense to me. And I've I'm really glad we're going into ayahuasca because that was also a plant that I linked with Ophiuchus. And I I have never taken ayahuasca. I've only learned about it, read about it, heard stories from friends who've taken mm-hmm. it. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about this plant and and how you feel as though it does it. Do you think it aligns with ofucus and what's going on with the energy of ofucus?
0: It makes so much sense because it's a killer vine. The mm. the 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 part of it that actually takes that the 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 um, grandmother. Yeah. She's this vine that wraps, and she's a strangler vine. And when ayahuasca comes for you, like when, when the medicine's coming for you, it usually shows up as like an anaconda. It usually shows up as this massive snake. And if it doesn't like swallow you whole, it wraps you. And the actual sensation is like, oh, I'm dying. Like uh, this is a mini death and that's the way the plant is because we've like, I've harvested it probably two dozen times because it's a very aggressive vine. It grows once it's established. It's like I was telling you about with the leaf cutter ants where the leaf cutter ants will go and like just mow down anything that's weak. The ayahuasca vine will mow down anything that's weak. Mm. It will climb to the very top, and it's a lot like I'm. I now here in the Ozarks, I see grapevines, and the grapevines remind me of the ayahuasca vine. It's just that the grapevines are not as big; they don't grow as big, and but they still have like that bark that that barky stuff on their vine. Yeah, but, and and so. It will grow and it's a strangler vine. And like literally, it's one of these things that you could cut it all the way back. And it's the next year it's climbed again. Like you can't over prune it, let's say. It's very alive. And that's the way the indigenous down in the Amazon looked at it. It's so alive. It's just like, it's so alive that it's going to show you death. (laughs) like it's gonna take you there and so the ayahuasca experience that i had was very unique because i wasn't really looking for it like um my best friend ended up being a reincarnated he they didn't call it peru back in his last life but like that the amazonian region Mm -hmm. and he's he fully grows it he he's the one who processes it and it was like go from a pro nba basketball player to be like an alpha shaman you know and his his connection like he's he loves plants he lo- like he he totally cares for them like if you ever get a chance to listen to my podcast with kevin o'neill that's who i'm talking about
1: okay cool i'm gonna check it, it out
0: and the, the ayahuasca itself, the, the journey with it is that they call it the grandmother because it's hyper-communicative. It increases your auditory capacity, I think, three or four times, three or four X. It increases your visual acuity two or three times, and you can smell everything. So what occurs immediately is like when the medicine really hits you, you can smell all the putrefaction in your body. Wow. Yeah. So we always have putrefaction going on. You know, women are usually much more sensitive to it than men are, you know, because you guys are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. (laughs) But men aren't usually like have that level of olfactory senses. And so the second you can smell your own putrefaction, it makes you want to vomit. It makes you want to hurl because you feel it internally, like you feel it moving through you. and the the real um I guess. M- like the the movement of the medicine hits you after the purge like it comes on you know but the second you just like just purge and let it all go it is anti-parasite to the max so i i was like trying to figure out i was like i moved i moved back to the states about two years ago a little over two years ago and i was like i gained all this weight and i was like I'm not eating anything more than I am here. Is it glyphosate? Is it this? Is it that? And then I was like, "Oh no, I haven't been parasite cleansing." Because down there, yeah. I I would be with ayahuasca, and that was like my parasite cleanse. And so just recently, I got back into doing the turpentine and being with turpentine, being with the with the pine gum medicine, because my body really responds to that very well. But um. So the, the ayahuasca, the way she moves is she makes you hyper alert to everything that's going on in, inside of you. And so when you can smell your own putrefaction and then you can hear the parasites, the parasites Ooh. come through <laughs> as like this demonic, like like so many of the terrible voices that we have, you know, are not us. Like, I would say the majority. And it's these parasites. Like, I had, I had come across the Essene Gospels, God, a while back. And in the Essene Gospels, it was very much about, like, purifying your body, always purifying your body. This would kind of keep the devil at the doorstep, you know? Like, you, you didn't invite him in. And right. so the second these parasites come into you, um, they're, they're lowering your energetic valence, your electrical valence. And the lower your electrical valence, the more susceptible you are to other energies, right? Lower order energies. Ayahuasca gets in there and just clean, like, nope, nope, nope. And it, it, it's different than something like peyote because peyote has a very similar cleansing effect, but it does it in the exact opposite polarity. Like um, I find that ayahuasca, the reason why they liken it to a feminine spirit is because it's negative. Everything is going in. Like your attention, you just become aware of everything inside of you and that like going all the way in. Like it makes me want to throw up right now. Like (laughs) because if you've done it enough, you can actually start to taste it again. That's how powerful it is. By the way, everybody, Don't do this ever in, like, a city setting. Don't do it around tons of EMF. Don't do it with these, like, newfangled shamans or, like, you know, a 22-year-old life coach. Like
1: (laughs) (laughs) Set and setting. Set and setting. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Because you need to be, if you can, be in the forest with it. That's where she's at. That's where she's at home. You have allies. You have tons and tons of allies in the forest that are there for you when when you're going through this. And it's obvious that it's been around forever. The Quechua Indians have this, like we're told like ayahuasca was like figured out like, you know, not that long ago. Well, the Quechua said it's been in their line. For 120 generations whoa that's a long time yeah yeah
1: wow yeah i love this i love the um the detail of smelling your own putrefaction that's really interesting i've never heard anyone say that because you know to me it makes me wonder too isn't it um also customary that you uh fast or you don't Mm -hmm. consume food a couple days before right
0: the main so, thing, is the, to do a dieta, they say eliminate the three S's, sugar, salt, and sex.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Ah. And I would also say get rid of caffeine. That like, makes sense. Like anything that's stimulating or anything that you use to buffer. These are all buffers. So in my line of work with massage, like I can, I can really tell when somebody is buffering with those three things or four things because that all those four things create a callousness Mm. it makes you callous and so what that does is it actually makes the ayahuasca more violent
1: that makes sense to me like big time big time yeah. Because uh, yeah, all of those things too, it's almost like uh they're kind of like crutches in their own way as well. You know. That's uh, what I mean have... by a
0: buffer. A buffer okay. is a crutch. It's yeah. just the, it's a terminology I use because the way it's read in the body, it's literally a buffer. It's like I can't handle something, so I'm I'm putting up my 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 guard. This is my guard. Right. This is my guard. And so the whole thing with the dieta is if you can do five to seven days of a a true dieta when you go into the 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 ceremony it's not having to fight through all of that
1: yeah like not having you taking out the extra work for yourself basically kind of thing
0: yeah and you can do whatever you want like you could do you could like you know, have your buffers and then do it with a 22-year-old life coach in a city. And you're just not going to get the full Monty, right?
1: Yeah, you're probably going to have a pretty bad impression of it then too, you know? And it might, maybe to the point where you'd be so scared to never try it again or something like that, which I think is what these buffers help us to do
0: as well. Keep us
1: away from certain things, like you're saying, putting up your defenses or what have you. Yeah.
0: Yeah it's it's an amazing thing, and she's she she told me that I was done with her. Ah, I like that because I had a very specific context with it because I was done having gurus. I had gone through a young part of my life of having gurus and like, you know, always giving idolship. And yep. when I came across her, she didn't. I, I told her, I'm like, I'm not looking for another idol. I, I actually told her I'm looking for a science advisor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to which she responded.
0: She showed me. She she did.
1: Nice. Hell, yeah.
0: <laughs> she literally was the first, she was the first flat earth truther.
1: Wow, that, that, that's amazing.
0: That I experienced. She She showed me optics. The very first time I was with her, and I needed a very specific thing from optics, and then, God, we had this, like, I should go back and look at what the actual alignments were happening, but we had a ceremony, and it was right before I left for Europe, and... I was outside and I like for four hours straight, I was just like, ah, oh, whoa. And to the point where the shaman's like coming outside laughing and be like, dude, like, you got to calm down. Cause all the luminaries had come and they were like, they were talking to me. And I had, I started to keep cutting them off because my rational mind was like, this is impossible. This thing's like quadrillions of miles away. Like, how could this be communicating to me? And then the another wave of the ayahuasca would come through and be like, "Shut up, you dumb gringo. Like this is what's so." <laughs> and then, like the the then they would start to the flicker rate of the luminary would like it it just would become so much more dynamic. and then it would match the the rate of my thought. And so it was doing this mirror thing. and then, I could feel the light on the other side and I'd turn and this other constellation and luminary would be there. And that's what like that's what locked in celestics for me was because uh, before that I was into tropical astrology and that after that night I was like, No, the signs are the constellations. I don't know who first saw the constellations. I don't know who like We're told it's arbitrary. I was like, BS, man. It's not arbitrary in the slightest. We're told that because there are certain powers and principalities that don't want us to use that to our advantage. They want it to their advantage. But I'm like, no, that is linked. Like, Because I, I wasn't even at the level of knowledge to even know what all the things that I was actually seeing in the personalities that were coming through. And I was like, Oh, we live in a supernatural experience. Like this is a supernatural happening. <laughs> it, it it changed my life. It was just like, so stunning. And so that was like when the flat earth came into my consciousness, like a year later, I was like, Oh, it it gave me relief like first i had to like let go of like the whole nasa fanboy thing that i had cuz i was conditioned that way being a, a child of disco but like <laughs> s- still like it was still like ah uh, obviously this stuff is close and it's interactive right right Totally.
1: And we're way more connected, as you're saying, than what we're told. And that was my big thing with the whole uh, geocentric, you know, awakening was that, wait a second, why is it that we're so, why is everything so compartmentalized? And then I think about the West and how the West is so compartmentalized with so many things, with our health, families, the way that we are, you know, just... I don't know. It's like when you go to other countries, there's so much more of a community aspect going on. And I think here in the West, it's more compartmentalized and it's taken away. And I think that the whole heliocentrism stays with that tradition of we're not as close. It's not as connected. No, it doesn't affect you as much as you might think or whatever. And I Mm -hmm. think that that keeps us kind of compartmentalized and keeping everything in these boxes so that, we're not able to really understand how connected things are here, which then in turn would validate what you're saying with being in a supernatural experience in my opinion. And I think the flat earth really helps you to realize that as well. And that it's been such a big inversion And to think that from young ages we're just programmed to think that it is this way and then you don't question it. That's the thing that's always like upsetting to me is like, wait a second, we can't question this? Why? That that always makes me more skeptical anyway. (laughs) If you're if you're told you can't question it, well, then you probably should, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's the sentinel at the gate. Yeah and you know as having a lot of aquarian energy in me i'm like uh, you can't tell me i can't <laughs> <laughs> you know that the, that's like the dead tell that i should you know that's like uh-uh. uh uh i i'm, I'm going to go there whether you like it or not but what actually what is your genesis like how did you end up getting into plants like how long have you been doing this and what's your like what is your origin story with where you are now
1: uh, at with herbs, it started with learning a lot about truther quote unquote information. Finding out, uh, basically, a lot of the crap that they put into personal care products like deodorants and you know hand cream, lotions, conditioners, shampoos, all that. I started learning about that. And then Mario actually started learning about uh, smoking blends that you can make, herbal smoke blends. Mm -hmm. And he learned about a plant called Damiana, which grows Mm -hmm. native to Mexico. It's uh, famously known as an aphrodisiac, but it's also famously known as a smoking herb. So he invited me to go to this herb shop in Portland when we were still living in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll go. And as soon as I walked in, it was like electric fireworks went off. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what is this place what's going on i have to know i've never been anywhere like this but i'm diving in and i went back to the shop like a week later and was asking all these questions and they're like you know we have a a, a, an internship program that you could sign up for and right away i did it i went i wrote my letter i went to the meeting and I, i got an internship there and then it just it started rolling out from there and i ended up getting hired at the herb shop And once I was working there for about a year, I was like, you know, I really want to explore this on my own and, and start, just diving in deeper. So I started my own small herbal care products business. And, uh, it was called seagoat herbs to go along with the Capricorn energy. And, uh, yeah, you know, just started making deodorant. That was my first product that I got into, but then I started making tinctures and I actually created my first tincture was for our uh, beloved cat, Carl, uh, rest in peace, my sweet Bubba boy, but he, um, he had asthma. And I made a tincture for him to help with asthma and it started working. Mm-hmm. And then I started diving deeper and then I started creating my apothecary based around our needs and Carl's needs. And then it just started growing. And I started to talk to more people and just experiment. And then I got really into wildcrafting and tapping into the energies of plants and kind of the rest is history. And here we are now. And I've just continued climbing this mountain. And I started back in like 2013. That's when I started, uh, at the herb shop and then started Mm -hmm. making my own products. So since then till now, it's just been me growing and learning more and just continuing to plug away at it really. So right now where I'm at, I feel like I've, I've kind of finally gotten to this point where I feel like I've found my, my place with it. And I feel mm-hmm. like for a long time it took me a long time to get to where I really wanted to be. Cause for a long time with herbalism, I was trying to fit myself into, I was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole kind of thing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I would do a lot of the same things. This herb is good for that and this and that and whatever. And I I found myself um kind of just emulating people and then re- regurgitating what they were saying. And that was kind of when I realized like, Hey, you need to find your voice in this. You need to find your voice in, in this work. And it became when I started really focusing on my love for being a homemaker as well. And admitting to myself that that's what I really love to do. Cause at my age, I mean, I'm only 40 years old, but when this was going on, this is about six years ago when I started to like have this sense of like, I just really love being in the home. I love the medicine that I make in my home. I love caring for a home. Wait, a
0: Capricorn that just wants to be in their home all the time.
1: (laughs) I know, right? What the hell? Wait, wait
0: a minute. No, like that can't be. That's like that. That's not, you know, that this, this astronomical astrology stuff is just BS. Yeah. There's nothing there.
1: It means nothing.
0: Nothing at all. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And so it was then that was when I really started finding it because I then uh, took seagoat herbs and I, I felt pigeonholed by seagoat herbs because it was seagoat herbs. And I felt like I could just talk about herbs. And then I switched it and I went through a whole big shadow work Um Part of myself. This was mm-hmm. when a lot of my own veils were lifted. A lot of my own uh, Capricornian boundaries of keeping my my darker parts in came out, and I was learning about my traumas and processing them and integrating them. And this is when I had all these revelations of like it has to be Michelle's healing home because I want to show people that. You know, the medicine women and men of old, they were home centric. They they were taking care of the home. They were the tenders of the hearth and they were keeping these traditions alive. And they they were doing this uh, out of survival. They were doing it out of for health and to care for their communities and their families. Mm -hmm. And so it was when I did that, I felt. I felt something shifted in me. And then I started teaching classes and I was welcoming people into our home and teaching classes in our house. And I was sharing more about like making yogurt and fermenting and doing more than just what I thought an herbalist is supposed to do, which is just work with plants. And so I kind of allowed my medicine woman uh, to be exposed a little bit more. And I got a little bit more loose with myself. And then I allowed the plants to you know beckon me a little bit more and then that's when stuff really started popping off and then especially then really focusing on gardening and and then growing the plants because then i feel like i started to establish a much deeper relationship with them when i was growing them uh-huh. and then watching them from seed to leaf to flower you know back to decay and that to me is one of my most special things that I love about it is 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 gardening as well and and, and Mm -hmm. watching these plants in the wild but then also cultivating them and Mm -hmm. making medicine with them
0: that's awesome that's awesome I I love hearing the origin story of your passion you know that 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 just works I think what you should do is you should go to like 80s rock ballad bands and pick out (laughs) every song that has home in it Oh, I love this! And, and do a <laughs> compilation, and then match the herb that best describes that band.
1: Ooh, I like this.
0: You know, and then just like you know, have that like do like. I think that would be awesome. People would be like, "Man, she's got it going on." Because you're probably a little too young for eighties, eighties rock ballad bands, but like there was like a stint from like eighty six to ninety one, where literally there was like. Fifty songs that had the word "home" in it.
1: I, I'm thinking of some already because, funny enough, my favorite band when I was little—I was in like first grade—it was Guns N' Roses, and yeah. I had like a huge Axl Rose poster, and my mom let me buy uh, "Use Your Illusions" too, and I uh-huh. listened to it real quiet because I knew that there were swears in it and all this stuff. But that's really funny, and I think of Motley Crue. Yes, um, "Home
0: Sweet Home."
1: <laughs> that's Definitely, one that comes to mind. Too.
0: Absolutely, man. That would be awesome. That, that's your homework. I expect to see that on on one of your one of your social media pages. I'm writing just, it down. I just have to make that joke because I swear the the people in my life that predominate with with Capricorn, they are obsessed with home. It's like home is is a sig- sig- significator for the Capricorn. Like, yeah,
1: it it makes sense. And that's kind of what Mario and I talked about in our uh, part two of the lost lore of Saturn is mm-hmm. the devil's role of being kind of like the master of the home and then the devil card and tarot being related to Capricorn and I do find that there's something about the there's such an earthiness to the home. And then you think of the home, obviously you are all about the dome homes, which Mm -hmm. I want to have you on my show because I want to, I have so many questions for you about that. But like when we're traditionally we're looking at a home and it's like, you know, square or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I think of the boundary with the home and that being ruled by Capricorn and the devil to me makes so much sense. I don't know. I, I like, it blew my mind when I first saw the tarot card that, um, where there's a, de- a devil and he's, his hand is hovering right over the house and he's mm-hmm. like standing at a distance from it. Uh, but he's showing like, this is my dominion. This is my domain mm-hmm. and I rule this and it doesn't have to be scary though, because I don't think that it's necessarily trying to imply that the devil is in the home. It's just more of like, no, there's this earthy Capricorn energy that's here. That mm-hmm. is very important to understand really, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it said even in the Bible, you know, the world is ruled by powers and principalities, you know, and it's inferred that that's, you know, the devil. Right. Right. And so we are obviously in this world, like, and when I started to really learn about boundaries, which is that Saturnian Capricornian energy, it was actually owning the fact that I had a body. Because right. in my younger life, I had been so displaced from my body, displaced from boundaries through different traumas, that I didn't really have boundaries. I had this porous field. I had this very semi permeable field. And then, the, right at my Saturn return, it was like, you're going to respect boundaries. You got to learn, son. Like, you got to know, like, you're here in the world. You can't pretend that you're not here in the world. You are in the world. And there are hard, fast boundaries. You have to respect these boundaries. And what more is a home? A home is just an extension of your field. Like I got into dome homes just because, one, they're like super efficient. And in my psychological profile, I love efficiency. But, and they're durable. So they're efficient because they're durable. But also the energetics of when you're in one, it just feels good. Right. You're like, oh, like, it's like, you know, like you sit on some couches, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable. And then you sit on the couch and you're like, oh my goodness. Like you just get gooey. That's sort of like what the dome experience feels like. If it's, if it's like a nice dome, like you like get into it, and you're just like, oh, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah,
1: okay. it it makes so much sense to me, you know, yeah. that, that this would be the thing. And I always remember one of the things I heard you talk about, I think it was when you were on one on one uh, talking about just how with the dome, there's no corners for mm-hmm. the spiders to gather and dust and bugs yeah. and all these things. And like, I don't know, it just made so much sense to me. I'm like, yeah, wait a second. That's awesome. I mean, nobody, you don't hear anybody talking about that. And I don't think that it's something I think that people are just so programmed to just do what has always been done. And mm-hmm. I think it's people like yourself that break out of the mold and they're just like, no, this is, this makes sense on like many, many levels. It's also mm-hmm. You know, you have the architecture background that you understand how to build these structures and which takes a lot of skill and know how and what have you it's it's more than just yes it's a dome and it feels good it's like no no there's this whole thing behind it and the Mm -hmm. reason why it works and I love that so I'm into it and also incorporating that sacred center concept of just there being more of a center in a home like that uh, and more of an obvious center. That's why I've always been drawn to yurts and things like that. And I've always wanted to live in a yurt and have like a life goal of building and owning a yurt someday because there's something about the round home that's always resonated with me. And my grandfather, uh, my mother's dad, he actually built an octagon home. and Nice. Yeah. And I was really young and I remember he lived, he used to live in the North woods of Wisconsin and going there. And I mean, to me as a little girl, you don't even really notice it. But as I got older, I appreciated it more and been like, wow, this is like really unique. How did he even know how to do this or whatever? And he was, uh, unfortunately kind of like a man riddled with demons and addiction, but when it came to contracting, he Hmm. was just brilliant. Like if you gave him, the materials and, and things he could go. But when it came to the other things, he had difficulties, you know, balancing life. But um, in terms of that, you know, so I feel like there's something in me that has that uh, resonance with it. So anyway, always
0: thought I, I'm going to show you why you have a resonance with it. And this is where you and I are going to nerd so hard right now. Nice. Are, are, are you ready? To nerd? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let, let's nerd something fierce here. <laughs> So I am looking into this new calendar and the new calendar is crazy because it is a reflection of these domes that I've been building for for 15 years. And so the domes I build are a Japanese star dome and the Japanese star dome was created by a... A Japanese mathematician that essentially was looking at mandalas. And when he was looking at mandalas, he had like that Jody Foster moment in contact where he was like, Oh, what if I saw this in three dimensions? He popped it up, and it was like, Oh, well, if you take the pentagonal uh, shape and You go ahead and have struts that make a pentagram from a pentagon that makes another pentagon to another pentagram. You pop that into three dimensions, and now you have six five-sided pentagons that create a perfect hemisphere. And it's structurally perfect because the whole structure is under tension. And I had been exposed to super adobe, which is like a beehive dome. I was exposed to geodesics. They both have their pros and cons, but the second I saw that you could have a, a full dome that was actually under tension, like each strut. It's not like you're connecting two little things and it has a joint, because that's what I saw failing all the time was the joints of the geodesics would fail. But this whole thing is, was made from solid long pieces that were just overlapping. And they were overlapped like origami so let me show you this you're gonna you're gonna love this and i'm gonna get to how this reflects the uh the calendar so this is the first five struts of a star dome so here we have the circle right so this is a dome i'm building that's gonna be my neighbor's house and so there's a door. Each one of these arches that you see, those are door openings. Those will go to other rooms. This, okay. is, the, this is the center room. This, it looks like there's, you're like, oh, that's a pentagram in a pentagon. So the, what's occurring is, is if you can see each junction point where it connects to the, the, the ring, the stem wall, They're exactly the same distance away from each other. So there's 10 points. But when you connect 10 points, you can connect them with five struts. So when you do that, you get the hemisphere that you're talking about. right? And then you add, you keep adding struts. So in total, you only end up having 15 struts. When you overlap 15 struts under tension like that, you end up having something like a hundred, I forget, 105 pickup points. Is this making sense to you?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Now look at this, look at the segmentation. So from this line to this line, this line to this line, this line to this line, those are all equal distances. So you have a 360 degree circle that's divided by 10. That's 36. All right? All right. Check it out. 36. This is so exciting. This new calendar that I'm looking at is essentially the, 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 the calendar is broken up into light cycles. And essentially what it shows is that the summer has the most light. Obviously. Then you have spring and autumn that have equal amount of light, and then you have winter and fall that have equal amount of light. So you have five seasons. So imagine five seasons: one, two, three, four, five. But within those five seasons, you have two 36-day periods that is segmented by one day in the dead center. Dude, I've been building sundials. Whoa, damn. This is a perfect sundial. And I had no idea I was doing it until so about a month ago when I heard when I heard this guy on, on this podcast. I was just like, because he said that. And I'm like, I know that geometry. I build that. That's what I use in my domes. So Let, let me go to it. I want to share a new share. Wow. This is this is what it looks like when you have the full. Oh. Can you see the other one? Stop share. Let me go share screen. Let's do this.
1: Okay, now I can see it.
0: Okay, so this is with this is the geometry with all. Now you would look at this and you're like, oh my god, it's too uber complex. It's crazy complex. <laughs> No, that's just 15 struts overlapped. Wow. With the pickup points are all at a phi ratio to each other. That's what's nuts. And that's why I'm like, okay, wait a minute. The golden ratio makes this perfect under tension dome with... 10 perfect segmentations of 360 degrees. This dude is just looking at how light works in this in this realm. He creates a calendar, and then here I am building these domes that always have this center pentagon is always open. That ends up being like a, a light portal. We call it a cupola, but it's an area where light can come through, air can move, all that good stuff, right? Right. And, but I noticed the, the, the one that I built for me on my property, I was like, I had a, I had a polycarbonate, um, bubble on top. So I would massage people in there. And I noticed it was like, I felt like I was in the movie Castaway where Tom Hanks is in the cave and he does the Analema and he draws like where the light would come through the sun during the time of year. So he knew when the winds were going to change. Mm. I'd be massaging my clients and I had an all earthen floor. So I was completely grounded. There was no electrical lines in the dome. There was no AC. It was like, literally like people would come to me to ground, like ground, And it was like, I had all these earthen elements in the dome and I'd I'd be massaging. And I noticed at different times of year, like, oh, look. And then I was like, oh, that's an Analema. And then I was like, Ah this is a kind of cool this is like a this is like a sundial. Now I'm like freaking out cuz I'm like I was literally building the perfect sundial and I had no idea about it. Is is what I'm describing making sense?
1: It it it's making sense. I uh I would need more um Like I, when it comes to like, when I look at it, I can visualize it. I can visualize that this makes sense, but like my mind gets overwhelmed when I get like when things get like (laughs) mathy, that's part of my trauma (laughs) is math, but, um, I can see where you're going with this. And when I, when you show me the visuals, it helps me to visualize that this is actually happening
0: for sure. So look at this. So this, this is. A circle, obviously, and the circle has a pentagon in it. So, we've all seen the Vitruvian man, right? You know, that Da Vinci drew, and Da Vinci was showing that the proportion of the perfect man is all based off of this ratio. And we can find it, I think, there's something like a hundred times in the body. Like over a hundred different ratios of things that like, if you're not deformed, like these are the ratios that are present within the body and you find it in phylotaxis everywhere. Like you find it in pine cones, you find it in roses, you find it in the movement of the luminaries. Like it's, it's to me, it's a signature of the divine, (laughs) like it's, it's everywhere. So if you see within every pentagon that you see, there is a pentagram. And for those of you that are scared of the devil and all that other stuff, you know, this <laughs> this podcast isn't for you. The, the You have these points that go this line, this starts here, it goes to here, and it crosses over. The ratios at which it crosses over is 1 to point six one eight. It's one of the only shapes that that fully encodes that. And what they're finding is if you were to make a triangle from here, just this line, right? If this was just to run straight across, Mm -hmm. that is an incommensurate geometry. And so the way you can think of an incommensurate geometry is... An incommensurate geometry is any way that you divide it, it repeats itself. So it's essentially holographic. This geometry is actually the the relationship that hydrogen has to water or hydrogen has to oxygen. So in our water, we have this eternal fluid fractal that's always communicating, right? that's why in all living things you end up having this this water you have a fluid moving through it that allows the the intelligence of the divine to come through and it it's it's all like it has to do with this beautiful signature this incommensurate geometry and so to now know that there is an actual cylindric system that If you were just a segment, if you were to take the points of this internal pentagram and just draw the line out, that would give you the ten segments that I just previously showed. I'll I'll show it again so people can see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think of I mean I can't not think of a toroid
0: with this. Oh, huh, share. Share. What is that? What's going on? I'm picking a it's... different. I'm picking a different thing. Stop share. I I, I want to nail this home because I'm I'm still in awe of it. I cannot wait to talk to. T- well, I don't know why it's not letting me choose. I guess the 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 gods are not letting me uh switch over to that. But essentially, <laughs> these domes. That I've been building are sundials, and to find that there's a there's a calendar that is like, like literally mapping that, and then and then like like people like you, you go into a a, a volumetric space, a shape. Like you said, you're really into your home. A home is the womb. You totally. Know if, in fact my first mentor in dome building, Nadir Khalili, he said he didn't call them bedrooms, he called them bed wombs.
1: Oh my god, I love that.
0: Yeah. And he made all of his bed wombs a leaning vault. So when you would go into it, he says, You're you're entering your mother again. Like you're 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 inside your mother. And he was he was he was Iranian, so to him the mother wasn't like your literal mother. It was like mother earth, like you're, you're reentering mother. Earth. And it was just like, beautiful. It was like one of the best night sleeps I ever had when I went out and was like at, at their university and learning the process. It was just like, there's something to it, the shape of what we're in. And then me being a massage therapist, I've worked in all the different spas that you can imagine. And like, when you have a space that is dedicated to healing and you have a space that is cared for and the the light is perfect and the the sounds and everything like that all that is like that's right up your alley man that's like that is the healing home and uh yeah it matters we we are epigenetic beings and whatever our surroundings like if The same thing. If like I'm, if I'm going outside and I'm cooking leaves to make biochar, and then all of a sudden, the leaves of that type or the trees of that type of leaf go, oh, okay. I see. I see. You're honoring us. Okay, good job. They're sending a signal back to me. Same thing with your home. Like your home, the signal that's coming back to your biofield will either enhance it or not.
1: Yeah. And you're going to feel it and you can try and deny it. You can try and ignore it. You can do all those things. But at the end of the day, that stuff is so real and so Mm -hmm. potent when you tap into it, that it it really enriches your life in so many ways. So I, the bed womb. Whoa. I love that because I think of just the dream time in general and, you know, you're kind of going back to the mother in, in some sort of way. And then you're in your subconscious mind and then the blending of these realms. Like, where do we really go? I I really feel like we're going back to the mother when we dream. And she's mm. like bringing us these visions. She's showing us, Uh, I think we can tap into past lives. I think we can do all these things in dream time. And so for me to think of it as the bed womb, I'm totally going to start thinking of it in that respect because it feels even more comforting who doesn't mm-hmm. want to feel that way when they're about to go to sleep
0: <laughs> and have you ever associated mother with a cube?
1: No, not really
0: no and not that's at what all. It, that that's what a room is, so like a normal North American room is a cube oh. You froze. Hello. We got a little pause in action. This is at Me shed My bad. Be- you? Okay, Hello? you're back.
1: Okay. Ah, it dropped off. All right. Sorry. North American room. That's the last thing I heard. <laughs>
0: The standard North American room is a cube. Yes. So even imagine this like most most grow like like right now I I'm I'm buying a greenhouse for my new farm. It's a vault. Now a vault is an arch that's extended in one direction. That's all a vault is. And so the plants like vaults. <laughs> <laughs> there's a curve. The yes. plants, the plants I see growing in domes and vaults in uh, what they called them, quantit huts back in the day. They like, oh, it's curves. It's like all of this stuff, dude. We're part of the natural world. There's nothing like rectilinear on our body. So if there's nothing like really rectilinear on our body, what makes you think that our body likes being in a, a six sided box?
1: Right. It doesn't. And it's totally, it totally throws everything off for us. I mean, that's my opinion, you know, and then you just, I just think of like the institutionalized way of looking at housing and buildings and everything else. Hmm. And it feels more like they're trying to remind us that there's some sort of prison element here. And I'm not necessarily saying we live in a prison or whatever, but I do kind of think that when you tap into, and when you are Uh, totally embedded in the mainstream allopathic way of looking at life you are we are kind of reminded that it's more of this dismal place or whatever but Mm -hmm. it's when we tap into more of these energies that are toroidal and round and womb-like that you kind of open up to these other understandings of how the world actually probably works you know because at the end of the day I don't know I, mm-hmm. I don't know how it really truly works, except for all the inklings and the intuition that I have. And I feel like the geocentric way of looking at things to me resonates the deepest, you know, which goes back to all of these things you're pointing out with everything that we're talking about.
0: One thing I think would be really fun for you if you haven't gotten into it already is um, different types of vessels for seeds.
1: Oh, Okay. So I have not gotten into that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, there's and different types of materials for these vessels. So, like, if you put a sesame seed inside of a vessel that's shaped like a sesame seed, so that there's a perfect nesting element, nature does this thing where if something is perfectly nested, it adds energy. So this gets back to Michelle's healing home. Like when you're in a, a structure that fits your body fits your ergonomic that would be like being perfectly nested so it it gives energy to you it's restorative home means restoration you're restored when you're in the home well there's this thing with seeds and it's very very well documented that you can put seeds in different vessels that mimic their shape and They just stay good forever.
1: Ah, I like
0: this. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really neat. And then let's say you uh, go ahead and apply a negative or a a southern magnetic energy to them, they germinate faster, they grow faster. Like there's, there, it's endless. So I'm getting back to the whole thing with the phi ratio. That was like Victor Schauberger's thing with the egg. Yeah, and like you store things in an egg vessel, you store water into an egg vessel. That was really the reason why I got into dome building was so I could build dome. I could build egg-shaped water tanks. But it's because you perfectly nest water inside something that the shape of it encodes the ratio of its constituents. Like the egg perfectly encodes the the oxygen to hydrogen proportionality. Then you get this perfect nesting thing, and the water never goes stale. It doesn't get mold. It doesn't get any type of, uh, what's that, uh, algae in it. Oh, yeah. And that was Schauberger's thing is, like, mimic nature. Like, actually mimic her. Like, what does she do? She's She doesn't do anything with square, like, rectilinear shit anywhere. And when she wants energy to grow in something, she perfectly nests it. Just mimic that.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's why, to me, it's so interesting that Saturn is typically... Associated with the black cube a lot of times, mm-hmm. so that's like one of the things that you'll see and and hear about or whatever. And not that it never resonated with me, but it is when we started to and Mario started to explore more of the feminine aspects of Saturn and that perhaps it was originally feminine and then it was inverted to male energy. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes a lot of sense that it would be more of a feminine energy and that maybe it isn't just the black cube. It's actually just the womb space. That is like the original representation of Saturn is the womb. Mm -hmm. Perhaps.
0: I don't know. Well, so like if you take a cube in three dimensions, once again, we're being Jodie Foster here and you turn it, it turns into a hexagon, which encodes carbon, which gets us back to dark black.
1: Right. Right.
0: Because carbon in nature is black. And so what does black do? Black absorbs. So that's the negative polarity. That's woman. The female polarity, the negative polarity, pulls energy towards itself. She's always absorbing. And I've seen it. Like that. In making biochar and making this black soil... The first thing that you notice with like say soil that's like say clay rich relative to soil that's carbon rich is that the temperature differential in the soil is completely different. The the black soil will hold the it will hold the 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 warmth longer. It just holds it. And that's what women do. Like you guys are master holders.
1: Yeah. Receptacles. <laughs> Mastering.
0: And so that makes sense to me about, you know, the, the original Saturn, the hypercube, the hexagon, the carbon being actually negative. That that resonates with me so much more. Because also what I've noticed in male female dynamics of polarity is that the real healthy heterosexual man is not chronos. The real healthy heterosexual man, he wants his woman to have everything that she needs and wants. Yeah. She's really the one that's the accountant. She's the one that's really the auditor. She's the one that is like, you know, looking at time. Like in all in re, let's let's be real about it. Most healthy heterosexual men are drones for their the queen bee
1: yeah that's a good way of looking at it
0: which gets back to the hexagon which gets back to the hypercube which gets back to black carbon and the negative polarity
1: right and you know to me i feel like when we start to understand these roles at least i can speak from personal experience once you really tap into this understanding of the dynamics between male and female and the roles the traditional roles To me, that's when life, like, light, it was just like everything lit up. I mean, I lit up, Mario lit up, and then stepping into the role uh, in my Divine Feminine, I feel like I opened up on all these different levels that I had never opened up on because society kind of makes you feel like you're not supposed to do these traditional things. You're not supposed to have the traditional role where the man is more of like, what does she need? I'm going out to get it. I will bring it home, and she will be there to comfort me when I come home with all the things that she did all day to care for the home and the children and the animals and the garden mm-hmm. and all those things you know, and so I think that i I, I always just feel like I want to be an aunt, and I am more of an advocate for people thinking more that way and not being afraid to and I specifically talk about my generation and younger. Because for a long time, I felt like I was made to feel guilty for wanting, for having that want inside mm-hmm. of me and talking to other women uh, who were older than me, telling me that I you can't, that's not really how it works anymore. And if you want to own your own business, like kiss that goodbye, because you're not going to be able to do that. And I, I kind of defiantly was like, I don't believe you. And I think that that's wrong. And I think that you've been programmed to think that you need to be the CEO of some big company, because that's what feminism taught you like back Mm -hmm. in the day or whatever. And I just think that these dynamics, it gets sticky when you talk about it in certain circles, but to me, it's, it's been, it's been the most helpful thing that I've done for myself and Mario and our family is to just know that this is okay. And it's, it's okay to want to do these
0: things and be in your traditional role. That's awesome. I'm so happy with that. I think it's coming back really strong. A lot of my, a lot of my, let's just say mid thirties and younger clients, they're all traditional. That's awesome. They're all like, none of them have like the idea that like a a corporation is going to give them more love than a loving husband. You know, I love
1: hearing that. I love it. Because it kind of goes along with what Mario and I are starting to think about and that we're heading back towards a golden age. Like, and I think the golden age is more about the center. It's more about the Northern tradition. It's more about knowing your pole, standing in your power and getting back to this time where things were more centralized in a healthy way and communities had a central place where they went and it's, it mattered. And I think that we're heading back towards that. And I mm. think it's slow. It's a slow progression, but I think that's maybe what we're witnessing. And it kind of validates by hearing that because it's really cool to know that that's what you're witnessing in that generation. Cause that's so crucial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so crucial.
0: Yeah. Cause I have a bunch of girlfriends that are my age, women, friends that are my age and a little bit older and they were like the last like third third gen feminist energy okay but yet they were still at the gen x range where it was like oh this is a lie (laughs) so they ended up having families later like not in their prime you know sexual capital like because the the dynamics between men and women are just absolutely amazing. It's like one of my favorite things to like dive into cuz as a as somebody that works on people, you know, naked both physically and, you know, psychologically, mm-hmm. it all comes up and out. Like you you hear everything. And so um <laughs> like the the energetic dynamic that was that I would say Previous to the Gen X generation. Their level of sensitivity was very low. On the norm. Then the Gen Xers were. A little bit more sensitive. If not a lot more sensitive. And then you look at the millennials. And they're like. Sensitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can't. Lie. Like. Like the the boomers, like they were like they just they had all this energy in the sun and in Leo, and it was just like pushing, pushing. It was this male like rah, push. But no, like as as we've come into the into these generations that we're in now, it's just like no, like one, you know, the internet has uncovered so many things, <laughs> and you could just see the lies are rampant. And two, yeah. how many of us? Like the majority of the families I knew growing up got divorced, including my own, and See? the ma- and the majority of those 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 relationships were ended by the woman. Same experience over here. And so with that, it's like, oh yeah, the man is Saturnian bullshit. The woman's like, uh-uh, I've done the eternal audit and I'm not getting this, 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 and this, and you're this, this, and this. I'm out. That's Saturn. That's Saturn. Cause I will I will say this. I when I first met my wife, when we were first getting together, she hadn't been exposed to healthy men. And I and I when I told her about my peer group, she thought I was lying. <laughs> And I was like, no, no, I'm letting you know, healthy heterosexual men, our first consideration is our woman. Yeah, like, it's beautiful. It is. And, and
1: did it take her a while to like understand that?
0: Well, she met my friends and she loved them. She was like, oh, you're, you're not lying. And I'm like, you were just ex- exposed to nothing but metrosexuals in the cityscapes that you were in you're exposed to abuse people that abuse yes and i'm like (sighs) i'm like you're these are healthy men but uh, like all of them own their role as a man like you can't you're not going to walk you're not going to walk over these men like they own it but i'm letting you know as a man that is like Within a peer group of like, you know, six or seven men that I know for a fact are honorable, love their woman. The first thing in all of our conversations to each other is what we're doing for our woman. Oh, I need to go get this for her. I need to do this. I I need to shore up the house for this. Like, we are drones. Heterosexual men are just like, what does the queen bee need? Okay, right. There's the hexagon. There's the cube. There's the 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 hypercube, I should say. There's the carbon. There's the black mother, the womb. Boom, all the way down.
1: Dude, I love this. I love hearing the story uh, with your wife because I can relate to that, and it, it's with Mario. Because when I met him, I was like. I don't think I've met a well-adjusted man (laughs) yet in my life. And it was, it took me a while to like trust it almost. And then because I had the same exact experience as what it sounds like your wife had. And I've I've talked Mm -hmm. to many women who've had that same experience. And it's not until you actually find a man that is in his role and is more wanting to be in his role and working towards that, that you understand that, oh my God, this can be such a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be misery. It doesn't have to be jealousy. It doesn't have to be heartache and, you know, feeling like I have to give more than I'm receiving, you Mm -hmm. know, and that was my big thing. It was like, why do I always feel like I'm giving, giving, giving and not receiving? And I think that it's when you're kind of squandering your energies towards these people that aren't wanting to be in their role either it's kind of like it's just this frivolous thing and everybody's just frivolously expanding themselves and the men are doing it too it's like they're you know they're they haven't maybe found a woman that wants to be in a role so then you're just like constantly butting heads and you're just like not happy but you're trying to fulfill yourself and it's usually sexual gratification that is usually the way that it's kind of um put out there or whatever. At least that was my, that was my experience. You know, it's just like you continuously thought, like I had this vision that, oh, well, men just want sex. So I guess that's just, that's just what you do. And then there's, this just happens. And then you find out that, well, I guess that wasn't what they wanted because they don't want to be with me. And then you try it again with somebody else. And then it's the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's just unfulfilling. And it wasn't until like actually getting into a real relationship with a real man that I realized like, Oh my God, it means so much more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of this means so much more. And it's all actually based in healing when you get down to the root of actually what sex is. And I, obviously it's, it's procreation, but I really feel like there is also so much healing energy that can be, that can happen between both people that, that, unfortunately is squandered away when, when we are looking at how it's viewed now in the world. And, you know, we could go on, I'm sure a tangents on this one, but I just love hearing that story. And mm. I think that that's super awesome that your wife got to ex- is, you know, got to is experiencing it with you because it's, I don't know, there's nothing like it when, when both uh, partners are in their role and they're assuming it and they're enjoying it.
0: mm mm-hmm. This is kind of a cool tie-in to the ayahuasca because uh, I was going through a divorce and I, I recognized that I was the problem in all my relationships, but I couldn't see it. I was yeah. like, the, the only thing that's the constant in this equation with all these failed love relationships is me. Mm. And so I had an intention going into, a, into an ayahuasca ceremony that was like i'm willing to see what what it is in me that is that is sabotaging love i was obliterated cuz she showed me lust the the main arbiter of the decision making in my being even though i wasn't like a super like ultra like, aggressive sexual guy. Still, when I was choosing mates, it was about the attraction. It was, like, this, like, you know, this, this burst. And what she showed me was I always had two to choose from. And every time and every time I took the lust route. And so... I did a series of six sessions. I was in dieta for a month and a half. I did one session every week for six weeks to get to the root of the lust and expel it because it was was a problem. It was a real problem. And so when that energy was expelled from my system, I was literally like, it was the first time in my life as a 40-year-old man mature because one i had taken the responsibility that i was the problem
1: right exactly
0: and then the second thing was i was proactive which is a male like a, the male componentry of me of like okay if i'm the problem i'm going to get better i'm going to i'm going to be better i need allies <laughs> This grandmother medicine, she kicked the shit out of me. Whack, 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 whack. <laughs> so she made me relative to my wife, to the love of my life, Because if I would have been running that lust energy, my wife never would have come to me because of what was going on in her. You know, she had been seen as like this, just essentially this like sex doll and was abused like... You know just like most attractive women are like you know like let's just say i effed constantly right and her whole being was like no i can't do that i'm gonna be a lesbian like i'm i'm out men are horrible so if i if i wouldn't have had the grace to like actually go through that hellish process of letting that go when I would have started to interact with her, we never would have had that connection.
1: Wow. That's so brave of you to do that because there's so many people that will never be able to tap into that. And I can't, I I can't
0: take credit for it because to tell you honestly, if, if I would have started the process knowing that I had to let go of lust, I probably wouldn't have done it.
1: I could I could see that, but you went in with the intention wanting to know. I yes. think that's that's the brave part to me. That's where the bravery is because yeah. you were open to receiving whatever you were going to receive. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's the step that a lot of people don't take. They don't want to look at. They'd rather not. They'd rather just continue on however it's been going even if it's going crappy for them it's, it's too terrifying to look in the mirror or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. and like really look in the mirror. And that, that, that to me has been some of the hardest work I think is, is this work we're talking about because that's when we're really facing whatever it is that's been holding us back, Mm -hmm. man, that's beautiful. I love, love that.
0: Yeah. It, 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 and the beautiful thing was, was it gave us time to get to know each other because I had realized even before I knew the less thing about myself, I had realized that I needed philosophy in my life. I needed to be able to connect with a a partner, a a female partner in that way. And I hadn't had that. That was my priority. We have to share philosophy. We have to be able to connect there because If we don't connect there, none of the other stuff will work for me. And so we had three months in our initial, you know, courting where it was just that. It was just this like, and I was like, oh, I love you before I even have to, like, before your body even comes into it. Like, awesome.
1: Yeah, man, that like gives me chills. It like brings tears to my eyes, honestly, because that's so how it works. It That's so how it is. And Mm -hmm. when you get to feel that you want like everybody to feel that, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think like that's part of finding your own peace. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that if more people looked at it that way, we'd be in a happier place, but there's something about it too, to know that the balance has to be there where the other side has to be there too. And we Mm -hmm. had to go through the lustful times and we had to go through the feeling of, rejection or not being good enough or whatever to balance out this side where we're on now and i think like that's just the divine balance of the universe that mm-hmm. it has to be how it is and that's what you know when i think about that of wishing everyone could experience it, it's like well maybe they will but it won't be this lifetime maybe it's next mm-hmm. lifetime and they'll come around to it or whatever but yeah. I love, I love talking about these things because I've found that it's just been so valuable to me and then helping others to see it, I think is just one of the ways that we can kind of help people to maybe start changing habits that they have in their lives and stuff, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Well, Michelle, this has been so great to get to know you a little bit, like on, on like a direct one, one-to-one. I I really appreciate that where can people find your work where can they dive into your stuff and what are you what's like the most current thing that you're really jiving with
1: yeah well well thank you tofer i i agree with you 100 percent. i second all that because it feels really nice to be able to get to know you a little bit better too and i appreciate the invite yeah uh, people can find me at michelleshealinghome.com That's the best way to find me you can find my online store there you can book consultations with me you can find my podcast which is on every Tuesday at 4 p.m pacific standard time the healing home uh also I right now have my uh cat and natural cat care pdf that I just uh finished writing and released uh-oh you br- just loves
0: can you repeat that because you kind of broke up on me
1: okay can you hear me now
0: yeah yeah it was just right it when you were talking about the cat stuff
1: Okay. So just released my uh, PDF, uh, herbal and natural cat care. So that's a, a introductory guide for people to understand incorporating herbs and natural remedies into their cat's life to make them thrive and have the best life possible. So you can find that on my website. And I also was just on Crow triple seven radio talking about that exact subject. So that was a really lovely episode because we all got to nerd out on being pet owners and pet lovers and finding, Just alternatives to the allopathic veterinarian practices that our pets kind of get trapped in, just like we can get trapped in. But uh, michelleshealinghome.com, you'll be able to find all those things and more there. I'm also on Instagram and on Patreon as well, Michelle's Healing Home.
0: That's awesome. I'm so excited to share this with everyone. And obviously, we have a lot more to talk about. (laughs) Yes, I
1: think so. I know. I was like, okay, now we're opening up. Here we
0: go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm really happy. I Just so you know, the context of my podcast is that I'm in information-gathering mode to create a curriculum for the long, young ones.
1: Oh, awesome. And
0: the curriculum is an accurate des- description of through the trivium and the quadrivium of what we live in, like what this is. So... That's the the overarching goal of this. This is like, I'm, I'm reaching out to all the minds that I respect. And I'm like, hey, look, I need your input. <laughs> so th- that's what the, all this is going to be converted into. It's going to be converted into something that the little ones can like imbibe and then understand how magical and supernatural this existence is.
1: I love it. I'm honored to be a part of it. Thank you awesome. so much for inviting me in. I love it. I'm here for it for sure.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'm going to let you get going. I got to get going. It's, it's, it's that time of day. And, uh, I look forward to talk our next time we talk.
1: Same here, Topher. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. See you soon. Bye-bye.
0: You ought to know. You ought to know by now. What a wonderful pod with the Capricornian princess queen herself, Michelle Lundquist. Uh, there are some really, really good things that are happening this year when it comes to all of these minds that have been sharing their specific fields of expertise with each other under the umbrella of essentially health, you know, mental health, spiritual health, um, historical health, if that's a thing, intellectual health. And this particular podcast is so full of like, There's probably like a hundred different avenues that you could take the information that we're in, that, that was within this podcast. Um, Michelle's work, like go onto YouTube and listen to um, a bunch of her, her work with Mario Garza, with Chance Garten. She's done podcasts with everybody. Like check her out. She's awesome. Um, The the notion that we are getting to into at the end is um hypercritical, I think, for healthy male female dynamics. Um if you like that aspect of like getting into uh what I was talking about with the cube, then rotated, that's the hypercube, which is carbon, which is which is black. <laughs> which is the six, which is the hexagon, which is carbon, all these things. It's, um, it's a level of understanding things where you can actually understand the, the differences between the male and the female polarity are extremely different, but they're symbiotic. They're always working with each other. And hopefully this podcast, like the Kyle Denton podcast is a primer for um, the podcast I'm doing next week with the with the new calendar, gentlemen. Um, because the dome, the domes, the Japanese star dome that I've been a part of for 15 years is uh, essentially the perfect sundial. And I had no idea that that was what was going on. So uh, now that I know that's what's going on, I'm kind of reframing things as... As all aquarian minds are want to do, we're always reframing <laughs> and innovating so that's just when when you're listening to this podcast that's what's happening is uh, there's a there's always a renovation that is uh, that is happening and a uh evolution in thought so I hope you enjoyed the podcast if you are enjoying it, please reciprocate um You guys have been very generous. Uh, I've really, it's awesome because it's helped funding some experiments and uh, I share almost all my experimentation on our Telegram Telegram channel, which is the Biocharisma Podcast Chat. And uh, we have like 700 people on there and it's pretty active. Like people are... (laughs) There's a, like a few hundred threads a day. I'm very impressed with all, all the biocharismites that are just chatting away. Tons of really good media on there. The uh, graphic I was sharing was from, I believe, Emily on the biocharisma chat, um, but don't quote me on that. I think it was Emily, uh, but hey, you can super chat me at the PO box that's in the description. Um, We will be doing a a live show pretty soon here. I think my initial one is going to be with Big Bear. Um, We set the world on fire at the end of 2023 with our four-hour gravy sesh. And um, I have some – I am pretty much decided today that I'm going to be releasing a couple of projects that I think are really going to be – Mind bending and effective uh, for people. I've been doing quite a few celestic profiles. Uh, the celestic profile is uh, its essentially like what a natal chart would be in astrology, but it's for the time of conception. And uh, that kind of shows you without your ego, you without your conditioning which once you have that information it kind of will set you free it kind of lets you be who you were always meant to be and uh, people are finding that to be wonderful Uh, I've had really good feedback with that Uh, I keep refining the process and um, yeah it's just been it's been a wonderful gift for me and the people I've been doing it for so uh, you can uh, message me, email me at info at Topher HQ if you're interested in a session. And uh, yeah, thank you for being here. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week.